Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, the show designed to help make middle age your prime time of life by defying the notion that once you reach 40, 50, or even 60 years old, your crowning achievements are all behind you. Regardless of whether you're just approaching 40 or are firmly entrenched in your middle years, it's time to launch your very own personal journey toward a joyful and purpose-filled second half of life. Each week, host Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, will discuss the challenges common to middle age and help guide you to a brighter tomorrow. Now, here's Roy. Well, hello and welcome to this week's edition of Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. And our theme this week is a toxic workplace, the co-workers that make it so, and the best way to deal with toxicity so that a miserable work week does not rob you of the good life at middle age. Also, we'll talk about a book that will help you find real joy and real purpose in life, even though you're currently uh, successful by all external measures, but you're miserable with what you do. And we'll talk about that a little later. Uh, But today's first, uh, we all know it's easy to identify, steer clear of, and speak up against someone who routinely demonstrates overly obnoxious behavior, especially when it involves unwanted sexual advances or commentary. Got that, Harvey Weinstein? (laughs) But as today's first guest, acclaimed author and transformational coach Maki Musavi points out, Not all toxicity is obvious, and subtly poisonous behavior can be far more dangerous because it undercuts motivation, efficiency, attitude, energy, and workplace teamwork a little at a time, not to mention the horrendous negative emotional impact it has on those individuals subjected to it. Before I introduce her, here are Maki Musavi's qualifications. She's a transformational coach and motivational speaker. She spent over a decade working in corporate America with a background in science and consulting. And although highly successful by conventional measures, Mackie's career success left her feeling cold and unfulfilled, and she began her quest to discover deeper meaning for her life and her authentic personal definition for success not the conventional uh, society-defined success she had been striving for before, and the result was Mackey's current focus on helping folks create fundamental change in pursuit of fulfillment. In her outstanding 2019 book, The High Achiever's Guide, Transform Your Success Mindset and Begin the Quest to Fulfillment. And hello, Mackie Musavi, and welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. We're real privileged to have you with us today. Well, thank you so much, Roy. I'm excited to be here. Well, let's begin with the subject of a toxic workplace. Uh, Can you identify a few common toxic behaviors? Let's look at them one by one in the workplace or at home. How about you define it as non-apologies? Can you cite one or two examples of unfortunate or hurtful actions and that toxic coworkers might refuse to apologize for. Sure, yeah. So non-apology is a really good thing to watch for, and sometimes we don't know what language will clue us into that. And what happens is when something has happened or transpired and you feel like, I want to call attention for this person to this person so they understand that what they said was hurtful or an action that they took was hurtful. Yeah. 
often what will happen is a non-apology will sound something like, um, oh, I'm sorry that you felt that way, <laughs> or I'm sorry that you interpreted it that way, right? So it's yeah. a very deflective kind of commentary that sort of sounds like an apology, but isn't really yeah. a sincere apology. It's really you that is off base because you didn't understand my perfectly correct statement. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. Um, and like I said, some people don't rec- they don't recognize that. So it's really um, a good thing to just kind of tune into, oh, you know, this person really doesn't actually accept responsibility, <laughs> even though they're kind of saying the right words. Yeah. Well, here's an all-too-common workplace infraction. How about the toxic individual who refuses to accept responsibility for messing up or failing to complete their part of the project? I'll bet these individuals generally blame someone else or an unavoidable circumstance for their failure to deliver. Right, yeah, and this is a good one to watch for in your personal life as well. But essentially it kind of demonstrates what I like to call the victim mindset, which is, you know, (laughs) they... they, Yeah, right. They, They don't accept or see their own part in what has transpired, right? So what happens is, it becomes a finger-pointing game. Um, I didn't have what I needed. You didn't get me the information that was required, or this other person didn't show up for these meetings. So it's, Of course, I could have gone on the Internet and looked it up myself, but I was waiting for you to do that. <laughs> right, right. So it's a lot of, um, really what it comes down to, it's a lot of, it's, but it's not my fault kind of excuse-making. Um, and, and that tends to get old really quickly. You know, you may... At, the first couple times that you've interacted with someone who has that tendency may not fully pick up on it, but it's absolutely a pattern with most of those individuals to always look to externally shift the reasons why something happened rather than saying, you're right, you know, I could have done a better job. I'm going to take that feedback for next time. You know, how can, what can I do to make it better this time? That's an acceptance of responsibility. And and the opposite is it's your fault. Can you cite and give us a brief definition of a couple of other common uh, toxic behavior patterns that are often found in the workplace? What are some of the other patterns? You know, I actually, um, you know, because we're talking about subtlety here and we often know how to identify something that's super obvious, I would say passive aggression is another one to really pay attention to because these are people who tend to be, they may be quieter than, you know, what we think of as a toxic personality. They look at you with evil eyes. Right, yeah. Or they may even come across as really, quote-unquote, nice people. So these yeah. are the people that um, they're, they come across as agreeable, they come across as solicitous, but maybe what you're hearing is that when behind closed doors they're saying something different. Maybe they're stirring the pot. Maybe they're trying to recruit um, people to their side. Maybe they make faces in meetings rather than just coming out and saying what they really think or believe. Yeah, a and, real bad and, example of that is a backstabber that says <laughs> right. bad things about you behind your back. <laughs> That's exactly right. And that is very toxic behavior that is not overt, and therefore the clues may not come around as quickly, but it is just as toxic to be that person that's kind of sneaking around behind closed doors and and trying to do what somebody who's more overtly toxic does in the open. Yeah. What about you talk about projection? What is that? Oh, yes. Projection is a good one. Um, Most people who are toxic, so this kind of ties a lot of things together, victim mindset, um, responsibility, shifting blame, those kinds of things. 
but somebody who's projecting is frequently accusing other people of things that they do themselves. Um, <laughs> you know, like that. <laughs> like the one that accused my wife of being nosy, and she's the biggest gossip in the whole <laughs> neighborhood. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's the kind of thing um, that that people who are toxic do. You know, maybe they accuse other people of not showing up for meetings when they themselves are the one who does not show up for meetings. Um, and, and so sometimes what they're doing is they're really trying to put on you or others their own behaviors as a way of kind of distracting you or confusing you in a yeah, lot of cases or, uh, into thinking like themselves saying that other people do the same thing. <laughs> right. Yes. And so that's another good thing to watch for. Like, huh, this person is always talking about how other people are falling short, so I need to tune in and, and see like, does this really, really match their own behavior? So that again you can just be very clear about the fact that this person is employing tactics to distract and confuse you from what they're actually doing. Well, here's another toxic offender. How about coworkers who rob you and your colleagues of time and energy by continually bragging about themselves and their families, their challenges and accomplishments, while they demonstrate little or no interest in learning about you and yours? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, right? So that's yeah. the person who they want the platform. They want a stage to get on, and, and they talk incessantly about their own accomplishments, and, you know, whether they're real or maybe exaggerated, you know, could be either. Um, and don't show an interest in you. So lack of empathy, you know, is another another clue. This is a person that when they've got a problem, they want you to to be their shoulder, to be yeah. their ear, to listen you may talk to them frequently and never get a, hey, how are you doing? Or, you know, any genuine interest in what's going on with you because that's not that's not of interest. Or if they do ask that question, they change the subject in about 30 seconds or less. There, yes, right? The person who says, how are you, to kind of fit it in there but doesn't really care about your answer. Yeah. yeah. Well, the good news is you tell us no matter how toxic your workplace situation is, there's always a way out. Without having any specifics to go by right now, can you provide us generalized guidelines on how to deal with a toxic individual or individuals at work? Is sure. direct confrontation with the offender generally a good or a bad idea? Um, you know, I think it's generally not a good idea. And what, and that's to say um, there are ways to confront toxic behaviors that do not look like the way you would confront somebody who ha who does have empathy, right? So. Yeah. Um, what happens with a toxic person is the first thing that's going to happen is they're going to become extremely defensive. Yeah. And that is, that is a mechanism, a, a dramatic reaction is a mechanism they use to keep you from confronting them, right? So it kind yeah. of becomes this self-protective loop that they engage you in because you're like, I do not want to deal with whatever crazy reaction this person is going to have. Yeah. The best way to deal with somebody who is doing, indulging in toxic behaviors is to determine what your boundaries are going to be with this person. Because often what happens in the workplace is you're expected to put up with or work around that person's bad behavior for whatever yeah. reason. You know, maybe they're good at sales. Maybe they're an expert at something. And that protects them when it shouldn't, right? So Yeah, your boss certainly doesn't want to have to deal with an internal uh, department squabbles or anything like that. So Exactly. So the, what you need to do as the individual is determine, you know, what do I, what parameters do I set in place that I yeah. will uphold? Because it's very important if you set a boundary to defend the boundary. Don't set yeah. a boundary that you cannot stick with. Yeah. yeah. And say, you know, if this person is consistently late for meetings and they're wasting your time, 
you let them know, you know what, I'm going to wait until five after, and if you're not there, we're going to reschedule. <laughs> and then you stick with it, right? Yeah. Um, and they may not like it, but that's okay, because all you're doing is, is doing what is best for you and your workplace and expect yeah. that other person to not like it. They're going to try to push that boundary. They're going to give you a ton of excuses for why they were late, and none of that matters. You just have yeah. to say, this is the expectation, <laughs> and this is what we do going forward. Just like in college, we said if it's a full professor, you give them 10 minutes. If it's an associate, they have five minutes to show up late. <laughs> exactly. <everyone> leaves. <laughs> That's right. And chronic behavior like that is, is something that does need to be addressed, especially if you find that it irritates you, drains you of energy, yeah. you end up being frustrated. Well, um, here's a good question. What if the toxic individual is your immediate boss? How should you yes. approach your boss so you don't get fired? <laughs> that's exactly right, yes. That's why workplace can be really tricky because there could be a, a power differential, right? Yeah. Um, one thing that I really encourage is, um, of course, caution because if this is a person who has all, consistently been like this and has been promoted or elevated despite that, that's obviously a trickier situation. Yeah, a lot of people um, are promoted because they're good as individual contributors and turn out to be lousy bosses. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So a really good thing to do is to start keeping track of, at least as an initial activity, start keeping track of the behavior that's bothersome for you, right? Yeah. So you start writing down dates, times, and specific examples. And if you are talking to other coworkers who are expressing the same frustration, you encourage them to do the same thing. Yeah. And then, you know, depending on the size of your company, this can be tricky, but larger companies often have a, a part of their HR department is dedicated to dealing with interpersonal issues and, yeah. and more sensitive topics. Finding the person who's the partner to your organization to go and have a confidential conversation where you can cite these very specific examples, the impact, and the fact that you know others are having the same struggles. At oh, it least is begins okay then to go to HR if you have a problem with your boss like that. Right. And again, in a smaller company. It's continual behavior on their part. That's that's right. And I think that's where documentation becomes very important because here's what happens with toxic behavior. When you're not dealing with an outright toxic behavior like sexual harassment or something that we can all identify, these are subtler things, and that's how these people get away with doing them in the workplace because everyone else is expected to accommodate their behavior, and that's what's been happening. Yeah. So you have to have specific examples of the impact so that you're not going into a meeting and being vague and hand wavy and basically saying, "Well, it just is really frustrating." Yeah, exactly. And it may take longer. You know, I've had I've know of examples where it's taken, you know, a year or longer for mm -hmm. enough of a foundation to be built around this person's behavior for some some motion to take place against that, and. And you should do that for the for your own peace of mind to feel like you're doing something and you're not just a victim in this situation. But I think at the same time, I absolutely encourage people to really be honest with themselves about whether or not the situation they're in is tenable because it is not okay to keep yourself in a damaging place for well, an extended period of time. There's always a possibility you could ask for a transfer to another department or something. That's with right. The, some support uh, other than just you don't like your boss. You also want to. Uh, broaden your horizons or whatever. Just although right. obviously, if you're really having problems with, and you documented problems with the boss, that's a good thing to ask for. I would think. 
But um, what are you inform us? There are three things you should never do if you have a toxic relationship with someone at work. What are these three things? Three no-nos. Yes. Um, so one thing that you definitely should not do is um, try to use logic to overcome <laughs> their behavior. Right. Um, <laughs> the reason for that is the toxic person is intentionally using emotional manipulation, right, to get yeah. their way, to get you to comply, whatever the case may be. And when you're not a person who behaves that way, it's tempting to use logic to yeah. reason with that person, right? Yeah. Well, this behavior isn't okay because, right, and then you yeah. end up spinning your wheels or using a lot of energy when there, you're, it's apples and oranges. You cannot use logic to overcome an emotional tactic. Um, so that is an important thing to, and that's why a boundary is more important because you're not trying to reason with them. You're just telling them what your expectations are yeah. and then you're sticking with them. So that's one thing to not do. Okay. Um, another really good thing to do is is to not give in for the sake of short-term peace. And so the analogy I like to use is like when you're maybe for parents out there who can, who can um, relate to this, you know, when your child is learning how to sleep on their own, there are certain behaviors that, you know, if you continue to give in to them, you may get one night of better sleep, but you're extending the period of months or years that you're not going to get great sleep. Um, and what happens with the toxic person is any inch you give in, they will, they will give it, they'll take a mile from you. Um, so your short-term peace becomes your long-term misery. So do not give in for the sake of, I don't want to have this confrontation or I don't want to deal with this person's reaction. You really have to stick to that. Right, right. Um, and then the third thing is, do not talk yourself into deciding that it's harmless to continue participating in the cycle. It's not harmless. And the, re the way that, we, that you all got to this place is that everyone has decided to justify why it's easier to participate for the sake of not rocking the boat than it is to confront the situation and do something about it. That is how systemic and departmental dysfunction takes place because everyone is kind of making the same decision that this person isn't worth confronting, so we're just going to deal with it, and, and it just gets worse over time. Well, let's move to a different subject and talk about your outstanding self-help book, The High Achiever's Guide. First of all, I understand there's a chapter in the book called Toxic Forces that focuses in greater detail on what we just talked about, working with uh, other people, especially leaders and bosses who create a toxic environment. Uh, does this chapter provide further guidance on how to counter uh, and overcome this toxicity? Yes, absolutely. It's a very in-depth conversation around um, how to empower yourself, what to watch for, the negative impact, and why it's so important to do something about it. So, yeah, there's an entire chapter about what we just talked about that goes a lot deeper. Oh, that's great. Well, the book is based upon your personal request uh, to find fulfillment and success on your own terms. And this is amazing. At the peak of your prior corporate career, you were earning six-figure income in a position you admired. You had a stable marriage and family life as well. But in your own words, you were unfulfilled and miserable. You yeah. revealed that many of your work colleagues felt the same, you learned. And at mm -hmm. that time, you didn't understand why you were so unhappy, but you do now. Can you please tell our audience what was missing? What was the disconnect? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it took me a long time to figure that out. So um, the thing that really happens to all of us, especially who, who are achievement-oriented, type A people, is that we learn what it takes to 
become successful from the for everyone around us, our families, our society, our industries. And we take these little messages and we incorporate them into basically we construct our idea of what success means from what we've been told rather than what we've experienced, right? Um, And for me, what that meant was I made it to this place where it looked like I was successful according to what everyone else's definition of success is, while on the inside, I really felt like what I was doing was living inside this very small box, checking everyone else's boxes of what looks good and what appears to be good on paper while really ignoring fundamentally a lot of what I knew I needed to be able to do in order to feel like I was truly being myself and to get on that path you to know, being fulfilled by being myself. If your neighbor up the street thinks you're highly successful, if you're miserable yourself, it doesn't That's make right. a lot of sense. <laughs> it doesn't. But the way that we kind of band-aid that is by oh, well, these are all these people think I'm successful, so there must be something wrong with me, right? Yeah. So you start to question yourself, yeah. and maybe you start to compensate for that by buying yourself things with the money that you're making to kind of band-aid yeah, over the fact the that... That's the last thing you need to do. <laughs> that's right. That's exactly right. So it's really about overcoming this idea that everyone else is telling you what success looks like and you really getting down into what does success look like for you, which is not an easy exercise when you've never really stopped to think about it before. Well, who is your target audience? Is it written only for unhappy corporate leaders or bosses or can frustrated uh, people down in the ranks also benefit? (laughs) Absolutely. It's really for everyone. I think the main distinction for me was just you know, there's so many good self-help books out there that are really excellent, and I've read many of them. Yeah. And I think that the the main difference can sometimes be that a lot of those books are written by people who are maybe more naturally risk-takers, or maybe they're artistic or creative people, maybe yeah. they're entrepreneurs. And so the way that they're built is a little bit different maybe initially, whereas oh I found the trap really comes from being the person who is inside of a structure, whether that's a framework of just the way that you think or inside of a corporate structure or framework, where you are getting rewarded for meeting those expectations, like you really are. But the reward is not not going any deeper than just the surface. So for me, if you're a type A person who's driven by achievement no matter what you're doing or where you are in an organization, this is for you because I know what it's like to be driven in that direction and to feel the challenge of overcoming that. So this is really just more for a type of person rather than a person who's in a very specific place. Well, this is a kind of an aside, but in the book you tell us that your husband frequently demonstrated a capability you were unable to accomplish and you envied him for it. What was that capability <laughs> and can you do it yeah. now? <laughs> yes. So my husband was really good at just taking a break to sit down and and do nothing, whether it was to, like, watch TV or just hang out and really not feel any pressure to get up and do anything else. And I was so incapable of that. You know, just the idea of sitting down to relax and take a minute was completely foreign to me. And I'm very We all need to be able to do that. Yes. I'm very pleased to report I do not have that problem anymore. Um, And it's really been such a shift for me to give myself that permission and to not see it as frivolous but really necessary to take that time for yourself to do nothing to slow down to give your brain a break it's vital and we treat it like it's optional we really don't have time to go into great detail i know your high achievers guide uh, takes 
folks through four major stages to genuine personal fulfillment, and we don't really have time to get into those. But I know you have a lot of self-help exercises in there as well, which is so important in any book that uh, offers self-help that you have the people sit down and uh, don't just skim through the book and I can eat value out of it. Um, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Where's the best place for readers to go to preview and purchase your book? Uh, well, any place where books are sold, so Amazon.com, IndieBound.com, Barnes & Noble, um, you can really find it anywhere that books are sold. That's good. Well, you're a transformational coach, a motivational speaker, and consultant. Do you have a website where listeners can learn more and perhaps make contact uh, to uh, retain you in one of those capacities? Yes, absolutely. So on my website is just my first name, last name, MackieMissavi.com. Um, so you can search for me there and find ways to get in touch with me and read more about what I do and where and I could potentially help you. Out, it's M-A-K-I-M-O-U-S-S-A-V-I.com. That's right. Yeah, because that's kind of a difficult name. To it's spell. kind of a mouthful, yeah. It yeah. really is. <laughs> well, as we just discussed, Mackie's book, The High Achiever's Guide, is for anyone who has it all but still remains unfulfilled. Even if we don't have it all, we may be unfulfilled. And I believe it's also appropriate for people who have not yet achieved the full success they're seeking but continue to aspire for it or for folks of middle age who feel like they're stuck in an uninspiring daily routine but deep down believe that they could be more successful. And so what does success and fulfillment really mean for you? Are you happy and fulfilled with where your life is today? If not, and you're, or you're not sure, Mackey's book will help you replace your current outdated, probably learned notions of success with a thoughtful definition based upon what's in your heart. And isn't it time to redefine success and fulfillment from the ground up, as she puts it? And if the answer is yes, I highly recommend you preview and purchase Mackie Musabi's new book, The High Achiever's Guide. And thank you for joining us, Maki. Uh, that was a great interview and uh, best of success with your book and your coaching and all you do. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Well, so you hate going to work each weekday morning. But let's pause for a moment to think about just why. Is it really the job you hate or is it your co-workers? <laughs> Maybe you're totally committed to your enterprise's mission or good at what you do or compensated fairly and actually relish most tasks that you are performing. But upon analyzing your situation, you realize it's one or more of your co-workers that you can't stand being around. And maybe it's the woman in the next cubicle yakking it up nonstop, clipping her nails, popping her gum, and worst of all, sucking up, up to the boss, always trying to take credit for all the, the team projects you work on together. Or maybe it's the morose gentleman across the room seemingly with a dark cloud over his head, constantly complaining about workload, the boss, the company in general, or perhaps his intolerable traffic jam on the way to work this morning. Here's a shock. A recent Gallup poll revealed that 85% of employees in the U.S. say they hate their jobs. But is that really true? Well, my next guest, Jennifer Cochran, LCPC, a seasoned counselor, who promotes personal growth and healthy relationships, informs that when she probes, it's the people you work with and for that you can't stand. 
But here's some good news. Jennifer is here to give us some keys to dealing with difficult individual at work or perhaps in your home. And here are Jennifer Cochran's qualifications. She's a seasoned counselor and also a trained certified energy healer. And over the past 20 years, Jennifer has worked with hundreds of clients to promote personal growth, healthier relationships, skills, awareness, and belief in self. And a professional writer, uh, Jennifer is author of the 2017 self-help book, Alignment, Move from Internal Chaos to Clarity, a book we'll talk about today. And she resides on a ranch in Homedale, Idaho, just west of Boise, with a partner, Malcolm, and a whole bunch of animal friends. And hello, uh, Jennifer. We're indeed pleased to have you with us today on Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. Oh, hi, Roy. Good to talk to you, too. Well, let's say you sounds have like, a... It sounds like I don't have any, I don't have any uh, toxic coworkers because they're all animals, right? Yeah. <laughs> Some of them can be pretty toxic if they're a rattlesnake yeah. or something like that. <laughs> right. Well, uh, let's, let's say that you have a problem with one or more really obnoxious coworkers. Since National Slap Your Annoying Coworker Day is not until next October, how can you improve your relationship with that difficult person this very day? Should you immediately confront the coworker and ask them face to face to knock it off, or uh, what do you do to improve your relationship? You know, I I've been giving this some more thought. You know, since since we talked about doing this, having this chat. And yeah. and I think a lot of it depends on your work setting. So yeah. some work, some jobs have kind of a team, a team culture, right? Yeah. So they're getting together and they're having meetings about what's working, what's not working. But a lot of employers don't have that kind of culture. You're you're just there doing your work, turning in your results, being affected by all the people around you. And it's difficult, it's difficult for people to know if sharing their, their experience is going to be worth it. Yeah. Like, are they going to get treated worse? <laughs> are they going, is it going to get resolved? Are they going to all of a sudden, like, no one's speaking to them anymore? Um, and and this, is, this is at all ages. I mean, this starts when kids are in school, yeah. and it goes right up through life, yeah. right? <laughs> Yeah, well, what if the person you can't stand is your immediate boss? Perhaps she or he overloads you with work, doesn't seem to give a hoot about your personal life, doesn't help you set priorities, rarely if ever praises you for a job well done, but routinely criticizes you for every little mistake. What can you say or do to improve your situation without making matters worse, ultimately perhaps even getting fired? What do you do with that situation? Well, Personally, I like to I like to own my choices. So, if if I decide that I'm going to speak up to, let's say, a boss, um, and this has happened to me before, um, speaking to the boss very, you know, just as honestly as I can, yeah. that very specific behaviors are making it difficult for me to con- you know, to work yeah. where I'm working, and understanding that. Either I can I can walk away from that situation, or this person can fire me. I mean, those are those are realities, right? Yeah. And I and I think we have to be prepared for either one of those. There's also the possibility that no one's ever confronted this boss before. Yeah. 
you know, like no one has said anything. And this may be the first time this boss is actually getting honest feedback. I, I don't know. But um, there, there absolutely are consequences, you know, to doing nothing and doing something. Yeah, I remember years ago and uh, I was working for a, a boss that nobody wanted to work for. And he took the day off, and when he came back, he was very displeased that uh, some of the work had not gotten done that he expected to be done. And he started uh, ranting and raving at us. And I looked him in the eye and said, "Let's. <laughs> the fact of the matter is it wasn't done. Let's talk about how we're going to get it done now and not spend all this time dealing with the past. And, you know, after that, that, that boss always respected me more and treated me better. Huh. <laughs> See, that and that's, that's exactly, I found out the same thing, Roy. I had that same experience, that everyone's so afraid of expressing themselves, thinking that it's going to be worse, yeah. they never consider that it might actually get better. Yeah. Well, to improve is it scary? Yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> to improve relationships with difficult coworkers, you emphasize the importance of your own emotional intelligence. And what is emotional intelligence and what elements does it include, and how does improving your own emotional intelligence help you deal with obnoxious folks you routinely interact with at work? Well, the first the first thing is learning to respond rather than react. Very, very important difference. Um, when we react, we are just defending. It's yeah, like we're in the middle of a war, right? Yeah. A response is more thoughtful. A response means I'm going to step away. I'm going to think about my my options here. I'm going to get clear about what I think and how I feel in this situation. And then I'm going to speak from my truth, my experience, not attack. Yeah, that's such uh, a good point. <laughs> and emotionally intelligent people, they are not just reacting. They yeah. are They are really taking some time to look at a situation seriously, even if it takes them another day or two or a week, whatever it takes. Yeah, and they to, may to think step about into the arena. The person is not yeah. reacting to them, but has some other problem in their life or in the work, and it really they're, exactly. they're taking it out on you, but it isn't really you that they're they're mad at. <laughs> That's true, and and we don't we don't necessarily grow up understanding that. You know, even our parents. They're they're generally not that upset with us specifically when we're children. Yeah. They're upset about something that that is they've lost they've lost control. They're going to look bad in front of their friends. They they're feeling uh, powerless, you know, as a parent. I mean, all these issues. But the kid takes it personally, right? Yeah. And if we don't ever get past that, we're adult children. Basically, we're we're adults, but <laughs> but we're coming from a from a kid place. Yeah. And so that that is not being very emotionally mature or intelligent. So that's the first thing you need to do. Well, you got further suggestions on an emotional intelligence? Oh my gosh. Uh self-awareness is key. Absolutely key. Until you know where you're at with whatever the issue is, you you can't express yourself in a you know, maybe maybe you are still angry about it and upset. Maybe there's some passion in your tone, but at least you're clear. You know, you've you've given it some thought. Yeah, you also um, mentioned social awareness, which is so crucial. That's yeah, understanding where the other person is coming from and whether they have a, uh, you know, being obnoxious for a good reason or just 
<laughs> because they're not. Right? You know, Roy, one of the things I've done, and it, it's worked actually pretty well, and I encourage my clients to as well, is rather than just be in that defensive reacting place, ask the other person, you know, or or make a statement like, I'm not really sure what's going on with you today. You know, you don't seem really to be yourself. That's a good uh, But this, you know, but, but this is really uncomfortable, what's happening right now. Yeah. So once once you mirror that back to the other person, it might snap them out of it. It might. Yeah, that's a good point. Instead of just yelling at the other person back or uh, calling right. names or whatever. No, that's right. Well, you tell us that testing <laughs> our emotional intelligence can lead to a higher job and life satisfaction. How does that work? Oh my gosh! Because you you finally get to be adults. You know, yeah. you finally get to be. Having difficult conversations, you get to be uh, not not stressing about having to be in that space eight to ten hours a day. Yeah. Uh, feel good about your work again because you're not being bothered by all these toxic, poisonous, you know, issues going on around you. Yeah. Uh, it it's it's a it's a huge difference, really. Yeah. And everybody does better work, you know, when they're focused on the work which is what they're getting paid to do. Well, let's talk a bit about your outstanding 2017 book, Alignment. Uh, From the title, how do you define the concept of alignment as it applies to individuals like you and me? What are the aspects of our being uh, that we need to align with each other, or how do we align those those aspects? With ourselves, yeah. Yeah. So this is, I I have a little sticker on the back of my car that says, Alignment. It's an inside job. Um, so everybody has has this system. Some systems work better than others, but we all have it. It's yeah. what we're thinking, what we're saying, yeah. what we're feeling, and what we're doing. So yeah, those I like four that things. Diagram you have in your book of ally, you call her. Yes. Yes. Yeah. The mouth, what you're saying, the the brain, I guess, what you're thinking, and the heart, yep. what you're feeling, and then the. The rest of the body, you're, what you're doing. <laughs> right, right. That's your belly. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and so so what I've discovered about this, this system, because once I learned about it, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so exciting. I, I have to be doing it all the time. Yeah. Yes, it takes a little more time initially because it's new, right? We're yeah. used to only looking at one part of our system. Like, how do I feel about that? Yeah. Well, okay, but that's not the end of it. That's only one of the four parts. So once we get used to lining those four things up so that they're working together, then we can be clear and we can respond to what's going on in our life. Yeah, if you're not uh, aligned that, inside, how can you conflicted. align with your environment? That's a good exactly. Yep. <laughs> I've got that on my website. Align, Align yourself, align the world. Yeah. <laughs> well, what would uh, you? What should you look for that tell you that you're not out of line, that you are out of line? I mean, how can you uh, determine whether or not you're aligned as a human being? All four of those aspects. Here's the difference I have found. When I'm in alignment, I feel like I'm in this really nice flow. Oh. Nothing is standing in my way. I don't feel angry. I don't like everything is is where it's supposed to be. When I'm out of alignment. I can I can feel it. I like I feel like I'm I'm trying to go left but I'm going right. I'm saying yes when I should be saying no. 
I don't, my physical body doesn't feel right. I get, I get headaches. I mean, all those kinds of things are saying that something is off. Blame others for everything that's wrong in your life when you're out of line. Of course. (laughs) Yes. It's someone else's fault. It's just someone did something to me. Yeah. Yeah. And you're also Mm -hmm. unable to uh, remain within healthy boundaries and even set those boundaries when you're out of line. Right. You you had an interesting observation that, uh, Almost all of the great world leaders were aligned in all four aspects of their lives. I know that, that that was very interesting when you pointed that out in the book. It was a study that was actually done by Angelus Arian, PhD, many years ago. Oh, and and oh. it's not that the it's not that the world leaders are really awesome people. You know, it's not like we agree with them necessarily. No. It's that within themselves, they are very clear about who and what they are. Yeah. Right. That's what they have in common. And, well, and we can learn those same skills. We don't have to be a world leader. We can be no. a, a, an individual leader. <laughs> we can be a leader in our little corner of the world. We don't have to lead yes. the whole world. Well, where's the best place for folks to go to uh, preview and purchase your book? You know, I think the easiest way to get my book is probably on Amazon. It's a print, a print-on-demand book, so uh, oh, yeah. it's real easy to order it. it Barnes & Noble has it as well on their website. Uh, if you live in Boise, Idaho, you can pick it up at at the Rediscover Bookstore. But well, like as to drive far out as I know, I, I, I haven't <laughs> been to Boise in maybe forty years. It'd be kind well, of fun to go out there and get it. <laughs> I yeah, do look there at you their, go. Your blue football field on TV sometimes. <laughs> yes, it is a very special football field. <laughs> well, um, please give us your web address where listeners can learn more about you and your counseling services. Also, do you have sure. an email address where they can reach you? How do they do that? The best way to reach me, well, probably the best way to reach me is through my Gmail account, which is J-E-N-C dot the bridge, T-H-E-B-R-I-D-G-E, and that's at Gmail. My website is Jennifer Cochran, spelled C-O-C-H-E-R-N, Dot com. Okay, that's easy enough. Yeah, that's uh, kind of an unusual spelling for the last name, so like you say, that's C-O-C-H-E-R-N dot com. <laughs> well, in conclusion, now listen up. If you don't want to quit the job you admire or are good at and relish the tasks you were assigned simply because you hate your boss or one or more obnoxious co-workers, so if you're unable to change the behavior of others, change yourself. And as my yeah. guest Jennifer Cochran has emphasized today, it is possible to increase job and life satisfaction by aligning those four major aspects of you, your thoughts, your emotions, your communication, and the actions you take are all four presently in sync. And once your speech and your actions are in line with your thoughts and emotions, you'll experience tremendous improvement in your daily living, both at work and at home. And here's a huge added bonus. Once you're at peace with yourself and are aligned in your thoughts, communication, and actions, you will begin to treat others with respect and honor even those folks you presently think you don't like. And guess what? (laughs) Most of them will reciprocate. Some may even become your close friends. And once you understand yourself better, you will better understand how others behave and the uh, elements around you, and you'll be in line with uh, not just yourself but with 
the whole job or with the whole world around you. And uh, before you quit your job or angrily confront coworkers, I highly recommend you preview and purchase Jennifer Cochran's book, Alignment, Move from Internal Chaos to Clarity, and I promise you'll experience positive results. And thanks, Jennifer, for your inspiring commentary. Best of success with your book and in all that you do. Thank you so much, Rory. You you nailed it. That you got the alignment message. Thank you. Well, to our listeners, thanks for tuning in. Hope to speak to you again next week when our guests will explain why self doubt may in fact may in fact help make you a phenomenal leader. Sounds crazy, but uh, tune in next <laughs> week and find out why that might work. Bye for now from Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. You've been listening to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, hosted by Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of both A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, and Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines. You can learn more about Roy and his Middle Age Renewal training system by visiting his website, middleagerenewal.com. 